0: Temp check. Time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional
1: terms and fees apply. This is a Headgum Podcast. Hello, halflings. It's me, Jeremy, here to let you know that what you're listening to right now is actually the shorter version of this episode. That's right. There is an extended cut of this episode. This episode, my interview with Iza, a full 30 minutes longer, I, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's, it's like 30-plus minutes longer, somewhere in that vicinity. Anyway, it is. Uh, there's a whole section where we talk about all sorts of other fun stuff, uh, reality shows, Glee uh, gets mentioned. It's a blast. It's a hoot and a half. And the only place you can hear it is on the Three Black Halflings Patreon. That's right, it's a stealth Patreon ad. Go check out the Patreon, uh, go sign up, and you can listen to the full version of this episode. That said, I'm going to throw it over to myself, who's then going to throw it over to myself. Over to you, Jeremy. Hello, halflings! It's me, Jeremy Cobb, but Thekla Hutirova calls me... The Cobb Back Kid. And I am here to introduce an interview. That's right, it's going to be an interview with me and a very special guest. A person who's been a friend of the show for a long time. But I'm not going to steal my own thunder. I'm going to throw over to me. Take it away, Jeremy. And hello, halflings. It is me, Jeremy Cobb. I just realized this intro makes no sense because we we just did an intro that threw to me. So uh, I'm going (laughs) to... To this, because we will have recorded an intro that says, Now let's listen to Jeremy's interview with Izzah. Uh, fine. Daniel, feel free to leave this. <laughs> 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 Hello, halflings. I am here with a longtime friend of the show. If you've been a longtime listener of this show, uh, you have heard—you've uh, heard this person performing in multiple APs that we've done. Uh, they played Zavine in Slowdown Showdown. Uh, you may have even seen them in the in the uh, in the D and D celebration uh, live stream that we did, and you may have also heard them as Pims in City of the Black Rose. Uh, Folks, put your hands together wherever you are. Yes, I mean it. Put your hands together right now for costume and prop designer, once and future TTRPG performer and podcaster, trash TV enjoyer, and my dad, Izza. Oh my god! This is the wrong dungeon and the wrong (laughs) dragon. Full prince vibe? (laughs) Woof! This makes them even more black cake glitches and pitches and lands in the cusp of a ball oh, no. on a match 20. No. You think this is just a game? That's disgusting and I love it. <laughs> We're about to get into something real big now. Woo! Yeah! Woo! woo. The crowd goes wild! Halfling <laughs> Stadium is erupting. People are tearing off their clothes to reveal tattoos. <laughs> Those are real tattoos of your face. Oh my I God. This is, is it like
0: everyone has a piece of it And they formed a human pyramid and, <laughs> yes. and it makes up my face
1: <laughs> Yes but these are permanent tattoos That they have all gotten of a small piece of your face They're a thousandth of your face And they all fe- oh They God. all Thrown themselves onto the ground And the blimp uh, heading above the stadium right now Can see your face Just on the field
0: <laughs> I guess that will do as an introduction <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> And cue fireworks Uh <laughs> So, Iza, thank you so much for coming. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This has been a long time coming. Uh, Iza, please, introduce yourself to the people. Tell us, tell us your nerdy origin story. How did you get into this business, into all this nerdy nerdy silliness and 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 tomfoolery?
0: Oh, my God. I mean, uh, also, so, yes, hello, and thank you for having me on. It's been <laughs> ages since we talked to each other. Like, yes. I'm really excited to be here. Um yeah, I mean, I guess my, my, like, original nerdy origin story was literally just, like, I grew up in the 90s and I was a bit of a tomboy and my cousin was really into, like, anime and video games and mm. stuff. And he um, would show me, like, Pokemon and Final Fantasy and nice. stuff like that. So early um, early gateway so, drugs
1: yeah. uh, for video games. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I remember one time he came over with, like, a poster with the original 151 Pokemon yes. at the time, and and he like rolled it out on the floor, and he was like, "Right, that's Bulbasaur, that's Charmander, that's Squirtle." It was really. Do you cute. have a
1: favorite from um, the original 151?
0: Oh my god, um, Gengar, yes, and Flareon, oh yes, and Arcanine. Yeah, those are some quality choices.
1: Some yeah. quality choices. My, my children. Yeah, I think Fla- I was always really sad that Flareon is just not a very good Pokemon when it comes to battling because Flareon was my favorite evolution back then.
0: Same. It's my favorite design from the... I mean, I think all the original evolution designs are amazing. But um, I mean, the listeners can't see my hair, but look at my hair.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the flames.
0: It's Flareon hair. Um, And yeah, like that kind of design just always appealed to me. I always loved Fire Pokemon. Mm. Um, And it just looks so floofy and I want to hide it. And it feels like the people that make the game are just like, a Flareon killed my dad. Flareon can't have good stats. <laughs>
1: like, Flareon can't have good learn sets. <laughs> what I'm saying is, why are you having a fire-type Pokemon where there are no physical fire-type moves, only have high attack, but no good special? Like, yeah. what are you, What are we doing yeah. here? Especially
0: in the first game before the, like, physical special exactly. split. And they're actually being, like, like when p- specific elements were just assigned mm-hmm. just to... Just special. A, a stat, a physical or yeah. special stat. Um, so fire was only yeah. a special stat at the time. And it's like why?
1: <laughs> also, why yes. that one? Why not like Charizard? It just doesn't. I'm, I'm right yeah, there yeah, with you. Uh, Flare Blitz. <laughs> Flare Blitz was a saving grace uh, when they finally introduced that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really think they should have just rejiggered Flareon's stats to make him more uh, special based because it just makes no. He, he's floofy. What's he doing yeah. hitting people? it's
0: fluffy yeah it doesn't want to get his fur all you know who should (laughs) have a good
1: physical uh jolteon i feel like jolteon should be able to stab people with his spiky fur
0: yeah and they give it like pin missile and stuff like that which kind of evokes that but then pin missile is like a bug attack is this all sorts of weird stuff like holdovers from the original pokemon games um they were very strangely made games. That's actually one of the things I love doing is just like deep diving on YouTube about like weird stuff that was programmed into the early Pokemon games that they just mm-hmm. like didn't get rid of. Yeah, like, like Missing that.
1: No and, and like the weird. The, did, did you have yeah. the rumor like on your playground that you could get Mew if you used strength and pushed a truck?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Someone's dad worked at Nintendo and
1: saw me. I once met someone who claimed (laughs) that he had seen the final episode of the Pokemon anime. Uh, Now, this was in, this was like in 1998 (laughs) or 1999 when I met this person. (laughs) But he insisted that he had seen the final episode (laughs) of the Pokemon anime and that it consisted of, I think, Pikachu beating Charmander to death with a Pokeball. Uh, And like, as well as a number of other Pokemon...
0: Why is that I don't even know really it was <laughs>
1: he'd never so actually seen pokemon I don't think he was I don't think he was allowed to uh to watch it I think he'd seen images of pokemon and then just decided to spin that out to make himself feel cool yeah uh
0: maybe, maybe that's the case where the parents have been like pokemon is yeah. intrinsically violent that was 100%
1: demonic, yeah was it was 100% he that he wasn't allowed was to watch a, it because they thought it was an ending demonic. that pokemon would have had 100% um <laughs> But so from there, oh you were you were into uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy, you were into Pokemon, uh, and how did it How did things sort of progress mm-hmm. from there?
0: Yeah, um, and yeah, like at the time, uh, I remember like we used mm. to watch like the X Men '90s cartoon and like the Batman series, and then like Justice mm-hmm. League and those kind of shows came out, and I was really into them. Got more into like anime and stuff at the time. What were some as of your well? favorite animes? Um, and just like always, always maintained nerdy interests and stuff. I mean, I I kind of I haven't really watched much anime in a really long time. I'm talking about when I was please. like 13, so please don't judge me. Um, but I was really into like Dot oh, wow, Hack yeah. and Samurai Champloo, some old school and FLCL and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's all um, good. My favorite for a long time. Yeah, was yeah. <laughs> uh, so, which? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, my brother's the uh, DBZ a lot fan of DBZ in in does family. not hold up, especially when it comes to the pacing. <laughs> just really yeah there's only so long you can scream
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> my yeah my, my main memory of dbz was like they would spend hours upon hours well it felt like hours upon hours 16 minutes or something <laughs> screaming and staring at each other and growing bigger muscles and then it'd be like what happens next find out next time on dragon ball z frankly extremely accurate
1: <laughs> that is that is extremely accurate i did um I think I looked at the math, and I th- when Frieza told Goku that the planet was going to blow up in five minutes, I think it was something like ten episodes before it actually blew up. It may have even been more, but he's like, in five minutes, this planet will explode. And then hours, hours of screen <laughs> time. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's been, like, three exactly. hours. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. Uh, but yeah, so from there, anime, cartoons, and then eventually...
0: Yeah, I haven't... So I didn't actually mm-hmm. get into tabletop gaming for a really long time. Um, in fact, like, some of the things that are my sort of, I guess you could argue, like, my main nerdy interests right now are mm. things I didn't get into for, like, until fairly recently, like, Star Trek, Star Trek and tabletop games and stuff. Um, and yeah. I
1: love Star yeah. Trek.
0: And there's so much of it right now. <laughs> We're so lucky. Um... Last night I literally was doing like a Strange New World season two podcast. Do you like, for, like uh, four you... hours talking about
1: it? Yeah, I was gonna say how I haven't watched the that, new this series. could become I've part watched two of that. Several of the movies, both the older and the newer, and then I watched several episodes of of the original series actually, which I'd always heard was dumb. But I was watching it, I was like, "This is good." I actually think this is a really good show. I can see why people liked this so much. I'm I was a fan. Um, what, obviously it's very different from like the newer Star Trek stuff. What, uh, would you say, like, what is your favorite current Star Trek property that's out?
0: So if the live action shows, Strange New Worlds is my favorite, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what about it would you say you like so much?
0: So it has this really good balance of, um, hearkening back to the original series in particular ways. Um, both with like the characters and their, mm-hmm. um, Like, literally, just like the the cast of who the characters are. Like, something that show seems to do very well is take characters who were maybe like underwritten or underserved or written out of the original series and then Mm -hmm. giving them a new life in this series and making them much more developed characters, characters like Dr. Obenga and Nurse Chapel. Um, And Mm -hmm. even Uhura, who obviously was a main character in the original series, she was still not like particularly developed. She was basically a side character. Um, yeah and she's most notable i think for the
1: kiss at this point
0: yeah yeah um but in strange new worlds we get to see this sort of origin story for her from like being a young ensign um finding her way in starfleet and stuff um Mm. and then there are characters like uh una who's number one who was um in the original pilot she was like the second in command under captain pike um but was written out of the show for the second pilot because they were told by the network that a woman couldn't be the second in command of the ship, mm. which is because that's the funny thing about Star Trek is like, it was very progressive for its time. at Every yeah. time it's, it's been around, but it also has these, um, other aspects to it that are not so progressive, and yeah. that are actually even uh, to us, especially nowadays, we kind of go like, Oh, that's that's not great, lads." Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um,
0: you know, like the brown face and the yeah. saying, "Women can't be on the bridge," and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and um, the, even just the depictions of a lot of, I think, the women in the original series, especially mm-hmm. like Uhura, like you yeah. said, part of she's a major character, but there's very little development given to her as a person.
0: In yeah. Way, and so. there's there's a lot of misogyny in a lot of Star Trek. Like I'll mm. definitely like attest to that. Um but yeah, like something, that's what I like about Strange New Worlds is it's taking these usually marginalized, diverse characters mm-hmm. who were, for whatever reason, not really in the show or written out of the show, uh, or were quite underdeveloped, and giving them more and developing them more and, and giving them a new life. Mm-hmm. And then uh in on like a visual level it has this really Cool, like production and costume and hair and makeup design, where they're they, it feels like they are kind of doing this like retro 60s style, but in a modern way. Oh, that's cool, and it works really well. So this is yeah. set, said- and they also do very cool experimental episodes. Like they did a musical episode this season, so of course I love a
1: that. musical episode <laughs> does uh-huh. does the singing factor into the plot, or is it just that they're singing? Oh okay. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's a die- the it's a diegetic oh, okay. uh, musical piece and it's this like, you know, we found an anomaly that makes us all sing right. as an excuse to have everyone sing. Yeah. But but they're also like because it's Star Trek they're trying to investigate the anomaly at the yeah. same time.
1: Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. And they
0: had some really good singers in the cast. Yeah, it's a good show. And I have criticisms of it as if you ever listen to this 4-hour 5-hour What's the name of the show? <laughs> podcast, you'll find out.
1: What's the name of the show? <laughs> yeah, of the, the name of the podcast.
0: Um it was on the Neil Before Pod podcast. I'm not sure when that episode's going to come out, but I will be sharing it on. <laughs>
1: Stay on tuned everybody.
0: Uh, we discussed at length my my issues with like the depiction of Spock as a mixed race mm. analogy and issues with like depictions of the Klingons, how they brought back the some of the makeup from like the TNG era and it basically involves having actors in brown right. face again and some of those kinds of issues which mm. are very present. Um, But then also, you know, the things we liked about Mm. the show as well. So,
1: so uh, Strange New Worlds is set during the time of the original series or before the original series, I guess?
0: It's, yeah, it's essentially a prequel to the original series. Um, So, yeah, that's my favorite of the live action current shows. And then the animated shows, actually, Lower Decks and Prodigy, I think. Yeah, I've heard they're really good. It's kind of hard for me to pick a favorite among those three. Um, yeah. they're really really good Is, and yeah.
1: didn't they bring some of the characters from Lower Decks into one of the shows recently like live action
0: yeah oh. that was Strange New Worlds they had a crossover episode with Lower Decks and so two of the voice actors appeared yeah. you know, as themselves in live action oh, in, so cool. in the episode um, yeah. that was also really I remember <laughs> seeing photos
1: and be like oh that's nice Like, I'm very tangential uh, to all of the Star Trek stuff I just observe it from a distance uh, and so whenever something mm-hmm. bubbles up I'm like oh that's cool Good for you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: That's neat. (laughs) Well, how
1: did you get into TTRPGs in the first place? Because you said that you kind of got into that a lot more recently.
0: Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, let's leap back around to that. Um, Yeah, so I guess I'd always... Because I was someone who played video games and enjoyed, like, fantasy and sci-fi, I'd always just kind of Mm -hmm. been on the periphery aware of TTRPGs. And I had a few, I guess, like, false starts where there was one time... Uh, me and a couple of friends tried to play some D&D together, like way back when I was like Hmm. in year seven in secondary school or something. Um, but just like, didn't have a very good experience like one of the older girls we knew at the school was DMing and Uh she was a bit gatekeepy about the game and I didn't really have a good experience. And that was just kind of a trend where I would like try it out one time and just found people to be quite Hmm. prohibitive and gatekeepy about it. Um, and so just kind of got the impression like maybe mm. that space is not for me <laughs> um which i think is something that a lot of women and poc and women of color can yeah can kind of um sympathize with um so yeah and then god i i used to play in a game a dnd game which became a dungeon quest game with some of my friends um god when that would have been like 2016 okay. or 2017 or something but it was like super casual none of us really knew the rules even the dm uh everyone would get drunk or high before playing and we would like sit on the floor rolling sharing one set of dice between us rolling them in like an oven tray as our dice tray it was like the most casual grotty D game
1: i mean, a bunch um, of intoxicated people not know the rules of playing D&D. and it was and then yeah
0: Oh yeah. We never got anything done. Like, I think, I think we accomplished finishing like one quest in the entire year we were playing That's for great. obvious reasons. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but it was fun. And then just through getting more involved in like the cosplay scene mm-hmm. again, cause I, I started cosplaying when I was like 13 and then kind of dipped out of it when I went to uni to do my BA. Um, mm. just because I was so busy all the time and, everything I was doing was like costume prop set design. So I was like, I don't have energy for doing this for fun anymore. Um, And then I kind of got back into that a few years after I graduated and um, getting back into cosplay meant I was in the cosplay scene when um, things like CR blew up and stuff like that. And I I did watch it a bit, but I was never like,
1: yeah, you were never a critic,
0: like super duper into it, but I had a lot of friends who were, yeah, yeah, but I had a lot of friends who were. And so that just kind of, you know, meant that people would be like, oh, do you want to like try playing a one shot with us and stuff like that? Um, and then, yeah, a few of my friends from a convention that I was like an organizer for, we mm-hmm. started an ongoing game in 2019, which we still play. I like, mean,
1: the fact that it's still scarcely, going, is, I, sparsely, I would say to it in it itself. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Like initially we were <laughs> once a week and then we were like, maybe once a month, we're all adults with <laughs> jobs and very different schedules. But yeah, like mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that just happens in TTRPGs. So, and often people just drop it instead of yeah. trying to carry on. So, I think it's cool that we still have that going. Um and yeah, and then I did um kind of get into the actual play and more like online scene quite quickly as a as a result of getting oh, okay. into it through people I knew through the cosplay scene and stuff. Um so I was involved in an actual play mm-hmm. show from like 2019 to 2020. Okay. Um, That's absolutely fine. I don't think I'm going to say its name because of the things I'm about to say. Um, (laughs) Don't look this up. But it's, it's it's gone and dead now anyway. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, basically like, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I started doing this actual play and stuff started to happen behind the scenes that I wasn't like completely comfortable with as being one of only two people of color involved in the show. And, started bringing things up and trying to kind of discuss it, but it was kind of, you know, battered away and stuff like that. And it basically ended up culminating in, yeah. you know, that happens a bunch of times Yeah, it, it just, just gets worse because not- it's not being dealt with, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so then eventually I decided I needed to like break away from that and not be involved in it anymore. Um, which I honestly think I might have not, wanted to hang around in the TTRPG scene anymore. If it wasn't for the fact that kind of as, as I was realizing I wasn't comfortable with this stuff, I found um, groups of people who were more like, like just groups of people of color in the TTRPG scene where I could like learn more about the issues surrounding like POC and race in TTRPGs and, and kind of like, figure out and quantify like exactly what it, what exactly like, you, what exactly.
1: Um... Cause it, it was uh, partly okay.
0: like th- things that were happening to me, but it was also yeah. partly things that were happening in the game. So it was hard. It was hard to kind of like separate those two things and, and mm. kind of figure all of that out. Um, but yeah, finding groups like Asians represent and um, the group I used to stream with uh, mm-hmm. during like the early part of the pandemic, um, which was right. no initiative. Uh, we're no longer like streaming together, but just because everyone like was busy, um, like finding those groups of people mm. where I really like hit it off with people. And eventually like you guys at three black halflings as well. And, and yeah. other, just like other people in the community who like sort of understood those experiences exactly. and were sympathetic to them. Yeah. Like Drak, who's how I think we got introduced as well. Um, Like, I think if I hadn't happened, if that hadn't aligned Mm. at that exact time, I think I might have just been like, well, once again, I guess this is not for me and I'm not welcome here. Um, But I'm very glad that I did stick around um, because I've made like Mm -hmm. a lot of amazing friends through TTRPGs. I've gotten work through TTRPGs, both in TTR, like actual TTRPG kind of stuff, uh, Mm. as well as like adjacent stuff, like making costumes related to it and stuff like that. Um, so it's created like opportunities for me. I even met my oh, current awesome. partner through like streaming D and D and Quest together during the pandemic. So I, I owe a lot to it, and yeah. I'm glad.
1: I'm really glad too. But I, I think you're you're the experience you're describing there of trying it once and then encountering a situation that's like, nah. and even trying it like more than once and ending up in situations that are just people. Uh, you it's just really unpleasant, just really unpleasant situations for any number of reasons, whether it's just a jerk of a GM or whether it's like full-on isms and eugenies and so forth, where it's just like, this is, uh, you know, it's actively hostile. It's like the environment is hostile. Even if in some cases the people themselves are not even consciously being hostile, the fact that they create, they they work to create an environment that ends up being very inhospitable and oftentimes are refusing to change the way that they do. Like, I don't know if you've seen uh, on Twitter, the the discourse over, uh, over safety tools has flared up again.
0: Again? It's like clockwork again every six like, months, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's it just seems so, like, it, it. the people who are upset about it seem to completely be missing the point of why it was brought up in the first place. Mm-hmm. And why it was brought up in the first place are exactly the same, the kinds of things you're talking about. Where when mm-hmm. you, when you st- it's to give people the opportunity to say what they are and are not comfortable with in a game. And yes. give them mechanisms by which to flag up things that come up during the game that they're uncomfortable with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the current thing... I've been very busy with, you know, moving cities and finishing an mm-hmm. MA and stuff. So I'm not as like as, as like connected in as I was months ago. But I, from what I remember, like the current thing is someone complaining that in some official adventure, they were, they sort of added in a box being like, ask for player consent before um, having them undergo this sort of permanent physical transformation mm-hmm. type thing, which for me personally, like I'm someone who I not like my character being forced to undergo a permanent physical transformation without me having come up with the idea or agreed to the idea myself right um things like uh god spells like is it reincarnate in DD where oh yeah you yeah to, like, yeah roll on a table and it changes your character's uh, ancestry like i do not like stuff like that mm. um especially in a game where the in-game concept of race is so heavily tied to real world concepts of race in particular yeah. ways um, it just makes me really uncomfortable. Um, mm. And even stuff like, you know, monsters that can force characters to age and stuff like that. Right, if like that's ghosts. a permanent effect, I'm I'm not into that kind of thing as well. Mm. Very strongly. So like, I'm all for putting a box being like, hey, before you make a character do this, like make sure the player is aware of the consequences yeah. and see if they're actually comfortable with it. I think that's fine. And the other thing is it was optional. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do that. You don't have to. I would prefer that DMs do it in a game with me. Yep. But you don't have to. No one's forcing your hand.
1: Here. I think I think so. one person seemed to be upset that the box said it is required that you do this. But mm. the Wizards of the, the Coast is not going to be in your house. Yeah. Like you can, <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. Don't yeah, want to yeah. talk to your players ahead of time. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. But sure, fine. <laughs> don't if you don't want to. I guess yeah, you cannot. But like yeah, yeah it's like you. Not every single person is going to have an issue with it, but. Mm. Enough people do that it is worth asking uh, up front, because that's Mm -hmm. not something that's going to come up in every single game. Uh, Something like True Polymorph or Reincarnate or any sort of aging effects, which is basically, I think it's basically just ghosts and maybe Mm -hmm. like a spell. Like, I think one of the Dunamancy spells can age you or something like that.
0: It can, yeah. I think the effects are temporary. Yeah, because um, I've had someone use that in a game once, but I think we established the effect was temporary, so it was okay. Yeah, um, I, had, yeah.
1: I had a character once get turned. He was like a thirteen-year-old boy who got turned into a full thirty-something-year-old man, and I just thought it was funny. And he just started turning into like a dad type. So he's got like a he's got in Britain a bum bag and in, in, in America a fanny pack uh, going around being like, "All right, everybody, did everybody, go to the bathroom now before we leave. Uh, like, I want to make sure I got here." I got a whole schedule worked out for us. It was, he turned into that. And uh, much to the. He doesn't know
0: why, but suddenly he's making dad jokes all the time. Exactly.
1: (laughs) It's like uh, the way I did it was that his brain just fabricated something of like a life and circumstances to explain why he's suddenly this old. But he still feels Mm -hmm. like there was a a weird period that's just a blur. There's like a 20 something year period that he's just like, (laughs) I don't know what happened. It feels kind of weird. I feel like I lost something. But you know what? I'm here now.
0: Don't know why, but the last thing I remember is being like 13 and then I'm
1: just here now. <laughs> yeah, weirdly, in the exact same place. Like déjà vu, yeah. right? <laughs> Do I live? Here yeah. Yet? But there's a lot of people who would not be comfortable with that. Maybe maybe their mm-hmm. character being youthful is a big part of the character or they're just like don't, yeah. don't change what my character yeah. is. I made it for this way for yeah. a reason. like
0: Yeah, like for me, like as someone who is a in the visual design world, like the way my character looks is very um integral to who mm-hmm. they are for me like i will often like draw and design my character and stuff like that
1: you did for zavine um, and
0: with some characters i do i did yeah yeah, yeah. oh i love zavine yeah. <laughs> yeah. um and and also there are some of my characters where the age that they are at the start of the campaign is kind of important to them like i have one character who it was quite important that she was 18 and she was supposed to be this kind of like um young sort of like teenage prodigy wizard Mm. type um so to just randomly age her up would like really drastically affect her backstory and like the kind of story i wanted to explore with her and stuff like that um so yeah like but some people don't really care they're like here's my fighter bob He's just a guy. And I was like, that's completely yeah. valid too. <laughs> I,
1: I, I will say there's a character in Unsleeping City chapter two on Dimension 20 who gets aged up by I think 20 years. And it's one of the funniest things they've that's ever happened on that show. But it it is absolutely something that you need to talk about with the players ahead of time. So everybody's okay with that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another thing I see I see people talking about in like YouTube videos and stuff sometimes, which for me, I'm like, oh, that's not something I would be okay with at the table without consent is sort of um, cutting off characters' limbs or, you know, taking out an eye or whatever as punish as, you know, they've taken critical damage or Mm -hmm. nearly died or something like that. And it's supposed to be a kind of lingering effect, which I understand, like, yes, that's something that would happen in in combat. Realistically, people would Mm -hmm. lose an arm or whatever, but then you're dealing with a character who Mm -hmm. now has a disability, which that player might not be prepared to, Um, tackle that as a topic Mm -hmm. might not feel comfortable tackling that as a topic Uh, or if they are someone who has a disability themselves maybe uh, some disabled people might want to explore that in game but some of them might not want to explore that and especially it depends on the table you're at whether you feel comfortable exploring that Mm -hmm. with the other people around you Um, so yeah like having something affect a player to the point where they are now disabled is something where like for me that's like something you need to think yeah. about quite a lot before you bring it into the game. If you are not someone who already is starting the game, wanting to absolutely handle that as a topic. Um, so yeah, like I don't think it's something that should just be done flippantly to be like, Oh, your character took a critical hit and dropped to zero. So, but they've been brought back up, yeah. but now their arm has been chopped off or whatever. Yeah.
1: Like- <laughs> or let people know ahead of time that that's how you intend to engage mm-hmm. with it. Because I think if everybody knows ahead of time, they can either opt in or opt out yeah. uh, of even just the table. I did. I did a. Um, I've done two public games in which maimings. I think two. One of in which maimings occurred as part of a mechanic, and one of them was a horror game. And I asked people up mm. front, "Is it okay with you?" If this is a part of the the game, and then if a maiming does occur, I let them tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need to be like you lose a whole arm. It could be as simple as you get just a nasty scar or something, mm. uh, you know, something like that, where it's not necessarily debilitating, but it is a very clear mark of what has occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, in both cases, when it, when something has happened like that, I've always let the players choose because I think, again, it, it can. I feel it feels different. If you're the one who chooses, as opposed Mm. to if the GM is like, I'm doing this to you. Yeah, uh, sometimes it can feel
0: like you're being punished just for playing the game, which I don't think disability should be wielded as a punishment against players. Um, No. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and almost none of these actually resulted in any sort of uh, mechanical disability. I think one person, their walking speed got reduced because they lost a foot. And that was about it. But we basically were like, all right, go moving on. Uh, And it was not a major plot point. But yeah, I completely agree. Um, Onto a slightly lighter note. So you mentioned (laughs) you we've talked uh, we've mentioned your uh, your extensive experience with costuming and and cosplaying. How did you get into costuming and cosplay? Uh, I have a hypothesis that you may have a bit of a theater background, but I, oh, I don't I, know ooh. if that's true. <laughs> it's I, this is this is what I've suspected for a long time. I'm like, she seems like somebody who's been backstage before. I mean, what yeah, I used to.
0: But before the pandemic hit, uh, that was the main thing I did. Was I was a theater designer, so I oh. like set costume and props for theater and opera and musicals, um, and also did some work in like indie film and events and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so. I, Yeah, my first, uh, my BA was in Design for Performance uh, Drama School. Called it. Um, Yeah, you were right. (laughs) I was like, I feel like I've mentioned this to him and he's just joking, but...
1: (laughs) Maybe you did and I forgot, but I genuinely, I knew that you worked in like theater stuff professionally, but I was like, Mm -hmm. I have this image of like you in in, like college slash high school being like backstage. It's just a mental image of being like, yes, I'm one of the people who helped put the costumes together. And I was like, yeah imaginary teenage is a good job.
0: <laughs> so I see enough, with like the
1: headset and everything.
0: Oh, I don't think I ever wore a headset. <laughs> funnily enough, I wasn't super involved in like drama stuff in secondary school. I was more mm-hmm. thinking I was going towards stuff like fine art and actually philosophy for a while. I thought I might go and study philosophy at university. Whoa. Um, I did really enjoy that. I did it at a level and I really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, my, both my parents used to work in theater. My dad was a director and my mom was an actor. Um, mm. They both do different things now, but they still utilize their drama training in like what they do now. Um, so yeah, I come I come from a theater family. I was raised as a theater kid. I used to <laughs> go to my dad's rehearsals for his productions of Sweeney Todd and play in the <laughs> chair, the death chair and stuff like that,
1: um,
0: <laughs> which, was, which was pretty cool. Yeah, um, that sounds sick. It was very much this thing of like, she's the director's daughter, let her go on the slide first.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great.
0: Um, And yeah, I got into cosplay when I was around 13, 14 um, was the first time I went. Yeah, 13 was the first time I went to a convention, I think. Um, And then I didn't cosplay um, because I didn't really know what it was yet. I did kind of make my own costumes and dress up, you know, fancy dress for birthday parties and everyone else is doing, you know, princesses and superheroes and like bought costumes and I'm just like, I'm here as squall from Final Fantasy 8 and I butchered my mum's leather jacket to make this <laughs>
1: costume. Did your mom knew that you did that or did or did you know that? It was it? with permission. Okay. It was with permission. Okay. <laughs> because I'm like, oh did you sneak in there with yeah. some scissors like hey, hey. <laughs>
0: I think it might've been a fake leather jacket as well. So oh, okay. it's all right. It's all okay. Yeah. It's all okay. Um, but yeah. And then I went to what was now MCM Comic Con was then, I think just London Expo or something when I was 13 with uh, some of my friends from secondary school who were also just big nerds as well. Um, and we saw people cosplaying and we were like, oh my God, what's this? This is so exciting. <laughs> um And so I decided the next time I went, I wanted to cosplay as well. Um, So yeah, so I decided I wanted to cosplay the next time because um, MCM slash London Expo was every six months. Um, So twice a year. And um, my mum actually, her mum was a seamstress. So my mum knew quite a bit about sewing. So she would help me make the costumes and teach me bits of sewing and stuff like that. Um, And we made, oh God, this is like, I'm st- i was such a little weeb um I, my first cosplay was from Naruto because oh. that was that was the era it was um Haku from Naruto the guy with the green uh um, oh, okay
1: outfit. yeah 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 um, <laughs> that's yeah, great
0: yeah <laughs> yeah how long did it take to make that oh god I don't even remember it wasn't a very complicated mm-hmm. costume we literally just had to make like the trousers and the sort of yeah robe type thing i can't remember the ex- proper word um i don't think i even wore a wig i just used my real hair i went and bought some sandals from camden <laughs> market um and we like sewed using literally the, the you know i don't know if you know this but there's like this thing with cosplay when new people get into cosplay and they're always drawn to these like cheap satiny mm-hmm. fabrics and i used <laughs> those fabrics like the demon fabrics everybody tells you not to use those are what we used um i don't know why my mum was okay with that being someone who actually knew about <laughs> sewing but whatever i think it was because they were cheap and she didn't want to spend a lot of money um but yeah uh that was oh, my, cool. <laughs> that was my first cosplay and then you know eventually i was making the like just fully making mm-hmm. the cosplays myself and um stuff like that cosplaying from like final fantasy mm-hmm. and kingdom hearts and transformers and and it was actually transformers stuff which initially i did sort of like Humanized designs of the robot characters, and then got into making armor through building Whoa. like mech suits uh, of Transformers characters. Um, and that kind of shift was when I was doing my BA in theater design. Um, so I kind of had the mm-hmm. more knowledge and resources to know like sort of a slightly more proper way to do it. Uh, although, funny enough, I posted on Instagram my first cosplay today because I was kind of doing like a first armor build, Mm -hmm. most recent armor build thing Um, and I used the wrong type of primer and I made the feet (laughs) way too heavy on this first robot costume and it was, there are a lot of things I would do very, very differently now Um, but I still think it was quite a I picked quite a challenging one as my first armor build, it was the Spark Eater from More Than Meets the Eye, the comic series who's this kind of um, Spark Eaters are basically transformers who are both Whoa. zombies and vampires kind of they're like um he's this kind of decrepit character who's been locked on a spaceship so all his armor is like broken and rusted and he's got like wires sticking out and stuff like that and he kind of wanders around almost as this like zombie like creature wants to eat other transformers spark which is like the thing that gives them their life essence wow um and so yeah i was like most complicated design i can find in this comic that one Let's
1: yeah go. that sounds <laughs> incredibly my first elaborate <laughs>
0: That's so cool it really though. was. I don't know why I chose to do that. I also did it as like a project for my BA, Whoa. which my tutors did not understand at all. <laughs> at, a, in... at a
1: drama school.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the in the third year of my BA, we got to do two self-guided projects where we could basically pick whatever we wanted so long as it was relevant enough to the course. So you couldn't do something like completely out there. But it was, you know, a costume. Uh, building project so that was within the parameters of what you could do so I basically they they said like what we advise is to do one thing that's like a little bit out there and weird and then one thing that's more within the parameters so that because only one of the marks whichever is highest will count against your final grade so for my safer one I did like a conceptual stage and costume design project on uh Stephen Sondheim specific overtures because that's just like um you know set and costume design for a known musical and was more
1: within yeah their i mean it's mark. yeah like, then, <laughs> it's a lot yeah. safer.
0: <laughs> yeah um but yeah for the other one i was like i want to make a transformers cosplay so cool. <laughs> and they were just like i don't know what to do <laughs> with this and i was like that's fine i'm just happy
1: <laughs> these utterly baffled uh theater people <laughs> Oh my goodness. Was 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 your theater school like really uh were they were they on the snootier side of things in in terms of like oh yes, the theater. Was it that kind of thing? They
0: could be, yeah. And to be honest, now that I've done this MA, which wasn't at a drama school to be fair, but it was within a similar kind of field where you're studying design and making and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think they could be quite prescriptive about what they considered, like, good. Um, yes. And, you know, drama schools have a reputation of being quite... Um, <laughs> what's the word I want to use here? <laughs> There's um, a lot of words intense.
1: you can use. Yeah. Intense. intense. I'm going to use a the good word one.
0: intense. Um, <laughs> which, you know, my mum went to drama school, so I've heard her stories and mm-hmm. then I went to a drama school, not doing acting, but, a, but you know, yeah. I had a similar experience where I was like, well, this is really intense and people are really intense about yeah. this.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's 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 called a play folks it's not it's not called a like, yeah it's like, the po- we're not curing cancer yeah. here <laughs>
0: we're, we're putting on a production of like i don't know what what did i do what what productions did i do
1: <laughs> i wasn't I there i don't know the
0: productions i worked at my at my school
1: what, are we, what did we do <laughs> All, most of our plays were written by our uh, our uh, course director that we were in. Uh, well, no, we did in first in first year we did like a mini production of Mackinal by Sophie uh, Sophie Treadwell, uh, which is pretty cool. Okay. Have you see, Have you uh, read or seen that one?
0: No, I've I've heard the name before.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a very um, imp- uh, expressionistic. Play that Mm. uh, is written about the it's like based on the first woman who was ever electrocuted or rather executed in the electric chair oh
0: uh, uh, yes like, yeah I can't remember that That's what yeah was,
1: there's right? like yeah. a famous photograph where some journalist snuck in like a camera apparatus in the pant leg of their of their trousers and snapped a photo of her while she was mm. being electrocuted and oh that became God. like a really really famous photo but she was she was she was executed for uh I think conspiring to murder her husband or something and the play is okay. kind of based on that it presents her as a much more sympathetic character than she was in real life uh-huh. like the play it's like society was <laughs> brutal and terrible, and she was just trying to escape. And in real life, it was like, nah, she was kind of mean, actually. It was pretty messed yeah. up.
0: I mean, I'm I'm not on board with, you know, capital punishment, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. she probably did the crime, right? Yeah, Oh, yeah,
1: she definitely did it in real life. And in the play as well, but again, in the play, it was much more understandable, because it was like, everything in her life is terrible. I get it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's a much more uh, traditional type of... Uh, a much more traditional type of approach. I feel like if you haven't been to a drama school, it's difficult to realize how intense it is. But the closest, Mm. honestly, from people that I've spoken to, the closest uh, analog that I've seen is probably something like the military. It's not as intense as the military, but the mentality of like... If you are injured, how much you're committing?
0: hundred twenty percent. This is all this. you do. Yeah, and injuries. Like yeah, you say. if you. Yeah, if yeah. you're
1: injured, if you're sick, unless you literally can't do it, like the injury better be like you can't mm. walk, or like the sickness is like you mm. have zero voice. It's not your voice is bad. It's yeah. you literally can't produce sound. It needs to be extreme. Yeah. Otherwise, you you basically have to just yeah, push yeah,
0: through. Yeah. I am um, like speaking of that. I had an experience in my first year. Uh, the the final project we did in first year was a puppet puppetry show where we both like designed and made the puppets and also like puppeteered and were in mm. the show. And I was I was cast as like sort of like the second or third lead, so quite mm. a big role in terms of puppeteering and um, giving voice to the yeah. character and stuff. And in one of our performances, so we I don't know that was it. We we came to London and did some performances here. Because the third, third years and graduating MAs, they do a final end of year mm-hmm. show in London. And so us first years came along with them and put on our show like where they were doing yeah. the graduating show. And at some point, either during that show or during the pack up and the, the building we were in didn't have a lift. So we were like carrying everything up and down the stairs ourselves. I oh. hurt my foot. And I didn't know at the time what had happened. I just knew that we got back on the coach and I was like mildly in pain and not sure what was going on. And through the course of that journey, it got Mm. worse and worse and worse to the point where when we got back to Cardiff, um, I couldn't put any weight on the foot and couldn't walk off the bus by myself. Um, And so I went to hospital the next day. And and so we were were doing more performances of that puppetry show Ah. back at uni the following week. So the following day I went to hospital um and they thought i might have like fractured or broken something which i was thinking like that's so weird because don't you wouldn't you notice mm. at the moment it happens if if something like that happens which i didn't yeah. know because i'd never broken a bone before um and it turned out like they x-rayed me and everything it turned out i'd Ooh, torn a ligament in my foot yeah. which is still bad it's not a break but it's still really bad like ligaments sometimes yeah, just like don't that's heal. rough um And I was still like limping and not able to walk and had to use a crutch and stuff like that. Um, But they knew about the injury because obviously the tutors had been on the coach with us on the way back and they'd seen people having to help me like get back into the accommodation afterwards and stuff. Um, So I like rested for the weekend and then like dragged myself in because of, Mm -hmm. you know, the intense atmosphere of like, I can't not be there kind of thing. Um, but I thought if I went in and talked to them about it, then maybe something could be done. But the attitude was literally like, Oh, it's not broken. Oh, cool. So you can still do the show. And I'm there Mm, like on a Literally on a crutch. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, yeah. Like, and to do this show, I had to have, uh, one of my hands completely occupied at all times puppeteering this puppet. Mm. And ideally both. And we had to, the show took place in multiple rooms where the okay. audience would be guided around the rooms and the puppet characters would kind of take them there on this mm-hmm. journey kind of thing. Very drama school. Um, so we had to like run down corridors to beat the audience to particular oh, wow. rooms. And they were like, yeah, you've torn a ligament in your foot. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can no. still do this. And there's no understudy. And they kind of, yeah. you know, at the time I was like 19, 20, not very confident about standing up for myself in those kind of situations. And so you just kind of go along with it because you're like, oh, well, I don't mm. want to inconvenience everybody else. So I'll just try my best and push through. And mm. that shows I have perseverance. Uh, and it's like, no, nah, yeah, if you're injured, don't, don't, like, you should
1: Don't do this play, home. please. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's intense. And, and there's this kind of attitude of like, if you don't, if you're not willing to give it 150% of your entire being yeah. and everything, then you're not going to make it in this industry, which some people do still have that attitude. I have come across that attitude. But also there are a lot of people who are just like, no, that's how people burn out. That's how people get injured. That's how people end up with like yep. long running conditions and mm-hmm. stuff like that who are more understanding so it's not across the board true but they but there are people who try to make yes. you feel like it and they is make it they way. make it also
1: feel like you're letting um, everybody yeah. down like if you can't mm. do a show you have failed that's like the way they try to make you feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, th- I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's nearly as common now as it used to be. I think it used to be just assumed, mm. but you can definitely tell when somebody, like doing APs, I feel like you can definitely tell who when somebody has a theater background, mm. and especially if they've done it professionally, because they tend to be like, oh, I'm sick. Well, I'll still do it. Like most of the time, uh, I know, um, actually that happened, uh, with, uh, a thing that we've recorded a little bit of, uh, with Jasper originally being like, Hey guys, mm-hmm. hey guys, I know yeah. I'm sick. <sighs> we're going to try and power through it. Uh, and he was absolutely <laughs> willing to try and keep going. And we had to be like, no. Bro. Yeah. We we're like, Jasper, no, <laughs> no Jasper, <it's> okay. please <laughs> take, take some time off. Uh, but he was, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's a rough, it's a rough, uh, environment. Um. So uh, I wanted to ask also, so we've gotten, we've talked about costuming. um, We've talked about uh, how you got into performing in APs. I'm curious uh, when you, as somebody who has performed in a number of different APs as well as done a heck of a lot of costuming, how do you approach uh, like from your, like as an artist or a creator, how do you approach uh, creating and performing a character? And then also I want to know how you approach creating a costume whether that is a costume that you are uh, designing based on an existing design, whether it's like cosplay or it's something that you're creating a uh, whole cloth, pun intended. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, I'm more of an armor girl, but...
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> excuse me, whole plate. Whole plate.
0: plate. Um, yeah, so with TTRPGs, actually one of the things I really like about it is that it has that aspect to it where you are creating a character. Um, mm-hmm. And that was one of the first things that got me to kind of latch on to... The process of being a player was oh I get to design a character and yeah obviously in a TTRPG mm. your are the more relevant thing is the backstory and the mechanics and stuff like that um but for me I know when I'm creating a character elements of who they are visually definitely come to the forefront very quickly um, and help shape their personality mm. as well um and Uh, honestly a lot of it is a lot of the time when i'm making ttrpg characters it is me just going like oh i've always wanted to play around with this kind of aesthetic and how would Mm. how would that translate into a quest character or a blades in the dark character or a dnd character what class Mm. or whatever would that suit and then kind of build it up from there um Or sometimes I, you know, look at a subclass or something and go like, oh, I really want to try this out mechanically. Okay. Who do I think this person is? What do I think they look like? What do I think they wear? And that helps me like build up the character.
1: That's Um, what you do with Pims, isn't it? Because I think you had a rune knight before you had the rest of the characters.
0: Yeah. With Pims, she was definitely a, I want to play a rune knight and I think it would be cute and funny if it was a goblin. That was the sort of initial concept. And then we kind of built up around that. And the idea of her being more of like a street urchin type character, bringing Mm. in that kind of like uh, punky vibe kind of fell naturally into place, mm-hmm. um, especially because Seat of the Black Rose had a more leaning towards modern type mm-hmm. setting. So it felt like I could bring that in. Although I'm one of those people who I'm like, even if you're doing high fantasy, I'm like, there's just fine for there to be some tech in there. We can do Magitech, right? I love some sci fi in my fantasy. Yeah, they had guns <laughs> for like
1: most of the medieval period or like a good chunk yeah. of it. Come on. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I'm also sort of like, I, I love it when a world has, um, technology evolving alongside or with magic. Can you mm. tell Final Fantasy VI is one of my favorite games <laughs> <laughs> growing up? Um, but yeah, like having played like Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger and mm. games like that, um, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable in a world with magic that technology would advance quicker alongside that yeah. either with magic bolstering it or as a kind of competitor to magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I think it's totally reasonable. I,
1: I'm right there with um, you.
0: Yeah, I know we've talked about this before, actually, haven't we? Yeah, we, <laughs> we have.
1: Well, because that's, that's yeah. City of the Black Rose. The whole thing is, like, yeah. there was a there was a huge magic tech boom, uh, like, leading mm-hmm. into the events where all, similar to what you had in, like, the 19th century with the Industrial Revolution and the Scientific Revolution, where you have all of these massive breakthroughs being made all around the same times that feed into each other or just essentially transform the way that society functions and thinks. Uh, and, mm-hmm. like, what do you do when people haven't fully figured out how we're going to, like, you know, child labor still exists. <laughs> We haven't figured out like, mm. hmm, <laughs> hey, everyone, maybe this is bad and we should stop. Like not, you know, you still have yeah. areas where that's allowed or you still have, you know, you had. Um, I don't think that was this was a plot point in season one, uh, but uh, they the the idea of uh, the Augs, these uh, genetically modified, like magically augmented and modified creatures that have been like, in, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it was the, the technology was developed to enhance like something like awaken where it's like, Oh, what if we make this dog into a full person? But then you take it further and it's like, but what if the dog also could grow tentacles and could dissolve things? Uh, and what if the dog was psychic and mm-hmm. then it's like, well, what happens with the dog gets real upset and wipes out a city block. And then it's like, Oh yeah, just because you can, <laughs> exactly. Mean you it shouldn't. was, it was absolutely that <laughs> mentality. Uh, and so there, there had been like a huge sort of an aug boom prior to the, uh, Prior to the set, the events of the the actual show, uh, and they had all been since outlawed. They still, of course, exist. They're out there, but uh, they're officially you're not allowed to have magically augmented creatures anymore. Uh, officially, mm-hmm. quote mm-hmm. unquote. Uh, but there's there's at least one game <laughs> that I've done that I've run in that setting where one person is an og. They're a full on like bird they're an actual bird who just thinks he's a kenku uh but he but he's an actual bird uh he's like a combination of i think a shrike and like a raven i can't remember what else oh and um and a liar bird he's like a combination of a shrike a raven and a liar bird if you're not familiar with a shrike uh their nickname is the butcher bird they will kill small animals and stick them on uh spikes for later like they have larders
0: oh my god like in yes like in, is it watership yes down yes that happens that yeah. is a strike yeah <laughs> uh the yes. deep-seated childhood oh trauma. watership All down is hardcore
1: back. uh but yeah but you'll see like you can see like uh-huh. photos online of other birds of lizards of mice on like these stretches of thorns uh because the birds like yeah i'll come back and eat it later so he's he plays an assassin he plays like a hired assassin who's just a goofy dude He's just a real goofy, oh silly God. dude who just wants a friend, uh, but also has no qualms about murdering people. And he is, his backstory is that he is a literal shrike who, who has grown to enormous size. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> fun times.
0: Um, fun times. Yeah. All super happy. My, your uh, Watership Down inspired TTRPG character. <laughs> oh,
1: Watership, did you watch Watership Down as a child? Oh my goodness. I yeah, can't imagine watching yeah. that as a kid.
0: I, I, I also, I was really yes! into the animals of Farthing Wood, which my parents always say really surprised them because I loved animals so much. I chose to be a vegetarian oh, wow. when I was like four or five. Farthing or Wood's the bomb. Um, And and I, I just... Yeah. I, it's, it was really good, but it was also like kind of horrific, just like watch it down. And they were like, we're, we were really surprised you loved that show so much. Yes. so many animals brutal. died in I it was, really literally isa-
1: On the last episode, I believe that we recorded of this show, I described the hedgehog highway scene because uh-huh. no one else in that call had seen it. You, oh right? That was that was the worst one. That was oh, the worst horrible. one. Horrible was that hedgehog scene.
0: Yeah. There are there are lots of horrible ones, but I think the hedgehog yeah. one a lot of people remember as being particularly because of the
1: Yeah. Like, and the really desperation fear
0: in it, and it's just like, Oh my god, please just one... get out. Oh, it's horrible. And then there's also oh. just stuff like the baby foxes yeah. dying and stuff like or that. The, it's uh, just it like fe- one of the best oh. gets
1: <laughs> as well.
0: Yeah, I think oh. they, both, they both end up getting shot by a farmer Yeah, because they wander onto his land and stuff like that. So for anyone who's watching who's like, what the hell is this show and why were children watching it? It was like a BBC animated yeah, I read the books show as well. based on, I think, a series of books that were for children. Yeah, me too. And it had a very, like, environmentalist slant. It was basically about a group of animals who live in a place called Farthing Wood. And the forest, one day they wake up and the forest is being, like, mm-hmm. paved over with cement and they're basically losing their home. And they decide they have to leave the forest and go yeah. to a place they've heard of yeah. called, like, White Deer Park or something. Um, and so it's their journey to get from Farthingwood to White Deer Park. But obviously, they're mm-hmm. having to cross, like, motorways and farmland. Yeah. And they, lots of them die on the way. Oh. And then even when they get to White Deer Park, still characters are getting killed off and stuff like that. Um, There's,
1: like, full wars that happen yeah. with, like, other groups of foxes, like the gray foxes and Yeah, stuff. yeah,
0: yeah. It's this, and they have a very like Romeo and Juliet inspired kind of hundred um, percent storyline. It's Lion King season. two. Yeah, it's yeah, Lion yeah. King two
1: Simba's pride. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god and then they yeah they're literally oh. like the only way they will make peace with the gray foxes is that like a bunch of their children get killed and they're like wow maybe this really was pointless it's like
1: yeah you guys <laughs> it is so hardcore they i they really i i know it's like a cliche to be like they don't make them like that anymore i don't think they'd be allowed to make them like that anymore i feel like if they tried parents would get upset
0: yeah i think there's there's more regulation on what you're allowed to show children yeah. probably like this genuinely mean, you do get alar- shows that are yeah, like you do get children's shows that are very complex and deep, I think, now. Yes. Um, like, for, like we talked earlier about Star Trek. Like, Star Trek Prodigy is aimed at a younger audience getting mm. younger people into Star Trek. And so that is, like, a very obvious thing about the yeah. show. But it is still telling, like, quite complex and deep stories with these characters. Yeah. Um, some of the best written stuff in modern Star Trek, in my opinion.
1: Mm.
0: Um, but you won't have, like hedgehogs getting run over by lorries yeah. in the middle of the motorway.
1: <laughs> you, yeah, you will not have, like, the violence has been toned down. You'll still have, like... Yeah. I feel like you'll have the emotional impact, but you won't see, like... Mm. That scene, man, it's the it's the shivering and the don't curl up, and the fact that, like, he went back yeah. out there to save... I forget it was whether it was her oh. or him who went back out to save the other, and the rest of the animals are like, come yeah. back! And it, Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so I'm real. I'm literally, like... Cr- Crying off and cringing oh, Thinking about it <laughs> Oh that scene is Oh that scene's brutal yeah. yeah You know different
0: It's that and like Watership Down Yes
1: I was I was gonna say In a different way Than Watership Down Watership Down Is just nasty
0: Yeah There's like a trio Of kind of British animated Movies or series That were made for children But are just like mm. Haunted everyone It's It's Animals of Farthingwood Watership Down And When the Wind Blows Which was like A 1980s or 90s Animated film or maybe short film about an old couple in uh in like a nuclear war it was made during i think it was made around the cold war um and sort of like what to do if a nuclear bomb drops and stuff like that but they do it as a sort of story about an elderly couple dealing with it actually happening to them in the english countryside we watched it in school that sounds so intense
1: <laughs> i'd never heard of that one it's
0: really i, I did watch <laughs> That's like the other one yeah. in the trio of like traumatizing British Oh my goodness. British I thought you were going to say Plague Dogs.
1: I've never seen Plague Dogs, but I've heard of it. I don't know if it's British or American.
0: It, honestly, from that.
1: what I've heard, it's actually worse than either Watership Down or Farthing Wood. Because it's like, I, the main plot is about dogs who are part of medical experiments. And it's it ends on a much more downer note oh, than any of the other ones. But apparently it is like, oh. honestly, if you made a movie like that for adults, people would be like, dude. Like, why would you do this? So, yeah. Plague Dogs is, is notorious. <laughs> it's like Watership Down, but worse. From what I can t- Like, Water...
0: Oh, God. Yeah. less than Watership Down? Yeah, less than Bunnies getting run with uh, I
1: won't... It's so bad, like, I, lo- I won't say. I'll tell you off air, but I don't really want to say it, because some parts of it are, like, genuinely alarming. <laughs> actually, there is one part that I can oh say. Oh, God, okay. There, it's like, after all these dogs have been through, they find appears to be like a friendly guy i think he's a friendly hunter who's like oh dogs awesome and one of the dogs runs up and he has like the guys holding like his his shotgun or something and the dog tries to jump up to be like be my friend Mm. it actually knocks him in such a way that he pulls the trigger and the hunter is no more uh and then then the dogs (laughs) are like oh no (laughs) oh no (laughs) that's that's the one i can say the one that i can't say is actually worse um oh god
0: well you have to tell me when we're done
1: (laughs) yeah but the yeah these uh i those that stuff like that and like return to oz did you ever see return to oz
0: no i don't think so
1: oh i've heard of it i don't
0: is it like a sort of dark wizard of oz type thing
1: yeah it's a sequel it's a direct uh-huh. sequel to the first Wizard of Oz that draws a lot more from the actual books in terms of its tone uh, oh, okay. and how weird <laughs> and dark it is. It's yeah. not a musical. Uh, I'll, I'll give like the premise of the movie. Uh, I think I may have said this on air before, but I'll give a quick rundown of the premise. So it's post-Wizard of Oz. Uh, the uh, Dorothy's aunt and uncle are very depressed and upset because their farm was destroyed in a tornado. And Dorothy keeps raving about Oz and they're like, Dorothy, what are you talking about that doesn't exist? And they start to become genuinely concerned that she won't stop talking about this weird made up place uh, or a place that they think is made up. She then starts to see like this little blonde girl show up uh, and like in mirrors and stuff. And I don't remember if the girl says anything to her, but she's like, there's a girl. And then at one point she gets like a little key, like an old fashioned key Mm -hmm. that says Oz on it. And she's like, look, see, it's real. And Auntie M is like, "Okay, this is genuinely concerning. We need to do something about Mm -hmm. this. And they they read something about a new newfangled treatment uh, called electroshock therapy. Uh, in the newspaper. And so they take Dorothy into this huge castle, like evil fortress, like asylum. Toto is left at home. Toto chases the the car, but can't catch them. And so they drive off to the asylum. Uh, Dorothy is like brought in as a patient. Uh, She's in this room. The little blonde girl shows up again and just leaves a pumpkin there for no reason. And Dorothy's like, what is going on? And the girl just disappears. That night, there's a huge storm. There's these weird moaning sounds sounds from all around the facility she's taken and hooked up to this gigantic terrifying machine uh, and just as they're about to start performing electroshock therapy the place is struck by lightning and all the power goes out and so all the staff runs out to go and try and deal with that the little blonde girl comes running in Dorothy is like strapped down so she has to like she does she undoes Dorothy's restraints. she's like come on we gotta go and she's like what's gonna happen she's like that, that machine's gonna destroy you and she's like what and as they're running through they hear more of the moaning and Dorothy's like what is that and the little blonde girl's like it's the other patients run and they run out of the building into the storm at this point the staff is now chasing them uh, across like through the woods they run down to like this overflowing river and the little blonde girl's like you have to jump dorothy you have to jump and the the nurse who is uh, frankly terrifying is like come back dorothy and dorothy's like ah jumps into the over overflowing river gets swept away and then wakes up in a crib with the family chicken Who knows how the chicken got there, but the chicken who has never laid an egg or has has stopped laying eggs uh, and can now suddenly talk and they wash up on Oz, like on the shores of Oz and everyone's dead. And that's where that's that's where I'll leave it. (laughs) But it is it is notoriously dark, notoriously scary. I watched it in my 20s and some parts were like, whoa, this is this is scary. Like I didn't even get to the scary stuff. The stuff that I said is just the intro. That's like the lighter part of the movie. <laughs> when the when Queen Mombi and the Weirdlers show up, it's like, wow, this is hard. Even for '80s kid stuff, this is hardcore. Um, so yeah, if you want to see, I do think it is a genuinely good movie. Uh, when you get to the ending and you mm-hmm. get the happy ending, it feels very earned. Uh, but it is very, very weird and very dark. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend watching it if you're not squeamish about scary stuff. Uh, no no children are harmed. I will say that. <laughs> like, up front, no kids are harmed in this film. Yeah, it's yeah. just a scary movie. Um, but yeah, that movie's wild. Anyway, well, uh, enough about Return to Oz. <laughs> I think this
0: stemmed from us talking about costume design, and I have no idea how we got yeah. here. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, okay, real quick. What is what is one of your favorite costume projects that you've ever worked on?
0: Um, oh, God. I mean, my most recent thing is, like, I keep saying my favorite thing I've ever made, mm. um, which was my final project for my master's degree in prosthetic effects. Um it's Prosthetic incredible. effects is usually... Oh, thank you. <laughs> prosthetic effects is usually more like special effects makeup, prosthetic makeup kind of thing. But mm. um, there is definitely, like, a relationship with kind of uh, specialty costume and costume props and stuff like that which they encouraged on the course um, mm. and I knew going in like I wanted to dabble with more like creatures and prosthetic stuff but I also knew I wanted to basically I knew they taught 3d modeling mm-hmm. and um, and I wanted to go more into doing armor and props for film mm. um, and being able to do 3d modeling like that is the current zeitgeist mm. so I, I was like that's what I that's the main thing I want to get from this course um so for my final project I decided I wanted to design and make a suit of armor. Um, and I got to do basically a thing I've wanted to do forever, which was to make, to create a fantasy costume design inspired by traditional Islamic armor. Whoa. Um, and yeah, so that, that was like the origin point of the idea.
1: I can see it looking at it right now. I can see what you're talking about. Like, especially with the shape of the helmet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was very much based on like the uh, Turkish turban helmets and the breastplate mm-hmm. is, Uh, also based on it was sort of a mixture it ended up being a bit of a mixture of like Turkish Persian and Indian uh, armor Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously because I wasn't trying to do like a historical one-to-one recreation um, I was kind of taking those design inspirations and melding them and then kind of iterating upon them and extrapolating from them to create something that was more fantasy Um, Mm. and yeah like that was something where I got full control over the design as well as the build, like from start to finish and got to tap into an inspiration I've wanted to use for a really long time. Um, and I just, I loved like every second of it. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, like 3d modeled the armor, uh, hand weaved the chainmail, sewed the tunic uh, Sewing's not really my main thing, but I'll, I use it as like a sort of supplementary thing for armor most of the time. Um, But yeah, it was that was the project where I really got to go in depth with uh, both um, design and three D modeling, and my tutors responded really well to it. And I found out the other day I got a distinction for that project. Ayy Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) and you know, so cool. I mean, well deserved. Thank you. Well deserved. even, even just the colors, like ignoring the incredible work that was put into creating the dang thing, the colors are fantastic. Like truly phenomenal. It's just, uh, it's wonderful. That's
0: to yeah. I was gonna say like, that's also one of my favorite color schemes is gold with like turquoise or light blues is mm-hmm. underrated S tier color scheme. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. I mean, look in here. That's, that's some serious S <laughs> tier right there. Oh, wow. uh, so yeah, I think that's think my favorite ever-
0: thing I've ever done. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Do you think you would ever use that, uh, for like a character in anything?
0: I mean, I kind of have because, um, there's a character, I, you mean in like a TTRPG sense or? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, I mentioned earlier during, like, during like 2020 and 2021, um, I played with a group called No Initiative during an actual play, a quest actual play. Mm-hmm. And in that I played a character called Faris who, um the kind of origin point of her character was I want to play a character who's very aesthetically linked to like the sun and solar imagery. And that ended up being weaved mm. into like the backstory and the location she was from that I created for the game. Um, oh, okay. and of course being mixed like Swano and South Asian, um, I want, uh, we were talking earlier about like designing TTRPG characters. That's another thing. Yeah. That I, I find links into how I design TTRPG characters as well is like, it's a way for me to explore like my mixed heritage, whether that's mm. creating a character who's got a mixed identity or exploring that concept, or whether it's kind of taking aspects of that and going like, I want to create a character inspired by this part of my heritage or
1: whatever.
0: Mm. Um, and and for, those, was, for those who don't know, uh,
1: SWANA stands for Southwest Asian and North African.
0: Yes. Yeah. Is that
1: correct? Okay. Yeah. Please yeah. continue. Sorry, I need to throw that. out <laughs> Sorry, there, yeah, I should say
0: yeah, the term. Yeah, um, so yeah, Far- Faris's uh, design, like the armor she wore, was um, based on similar styles of armor. She didn't have a helmet, but she had um, that style of uh, breastplate, kind of similar to like Mamluk armor and stuff, where um, mm. it's uh, plates joined by chainmail, and you have that very sort of iconic uh, domed plate in the torso. Um, mm. So and i actually like went back and looked at the character design i did for her when i was like sort of ideating for this project um and i actually did the I not only designed my character for that but i ended up doing our like character art for the stream for that so i did like my oh, character's okay. art and everybody else's art as well which was sort of another way in which like my artistic and design skills kind of came into play in ttrpgs was i ended up doing like character art for streams i was in and stuff mm. like that um and so yeah, like she um was very kind of like in that world as well. And to be honest, like a lot of my characters draw from um those aspects of my heritage because I feel like it's something that's very underserved in fantasy as a whole. And when it is done, it's usually white people yep. co-opting it and doing it yeah. through like very stereotyped ideas of um of whether it's like swana or south asian there's
1: it's always the welcome my friend i
0: know it's kind of bad for yeah. me to like lump it all in but then, yeah yeah yeah
1: the welcome, in the back every i know time. it's kind of bad for me
0: to lump it all in but i'm i am mixed like south yeah 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 i'm i'm like mixed south asian and uh west asian and north african so like i'm not lumping it all in to be like that it's like that's my heritage but people also lump it all in uh when they're creating like settings and stuff and they make these very like non-specific Did you did you play things.
1: Genshin Impact?
0: No, I don't. I know the drama around that issue though. Yeah. With Genshin Impact. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah, cuz they they earlier was it this year? dropped like a whole setting that, again, lumps in mm. Northern Africa and India. There's, like, all these, like, jungle areas and also all of these desert areas. And it's mm-hmm. just, I mean, honestly, it is probably the coolest region that I've seen from that game. And the music absolutely slaps. But it does <laughs> It does fall into that pitfall of just being like, yeah, it's all the same thing. And they just lumped yeah. it all in together. I
0: actually, yeah. so I, I don't know anything about Genshin Impact. I've never played it the most I knew about it was that like I follow Kamumi cosplay on YouTube and she did cosplays from it um Mm -hmm. but I a while ago did a wrote a thread on um the belly dancer outfit and kind of Ah. uh it's uh the issues with its origins as we know it now and why it's like um problematic for it to be used uh even by like eastern quote-unquote developers like there's a lot of jrpgs where dancers are wearing mm. belly dancer outfits and they're very sexualized, yep. and they're the sort of orientalized characters within those settings even though it's a setting made by people from asia um yeah and we ended up doing an episode on asians represent kind of going more in depth on on that um but that thread quite consistently I find people like retweeting it and quote tweeting it into threads on the topic when a piece of media kind of does that TM. And I noticed like it happening again at one point, like a year or two ago or something. And I kind of like clicked into the thread just to see what they were talking about. And it was people talking about Genshin impact. And I was like, I don't go to this school. I don't know what Genshin impact is or does, but I'm happy for you guys to use my thread to discuss this topic and because, and then I like scrolled up and saw the character designs, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's super Orientalist." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: super, super. Uh, yeah, I do suggest checking out the music. In fact, I'll send you a track because I've actually used it. Mm. One of the one of the songs I've used in in like when I do in person games sometimes. For uh, um, Utaram games, because I'm like, this is mm-hmm. this, this is really good. <laughs> it's like really really good music. Um, but yeah, it- sometimes
0: something can have a soundtrack that slaps, but the thing is racist. Yeah, like, I was basically. talking about the Road to El Dorado with someone the other day. Oh I was no, like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I watched that film when I was a kid, and I really loved it. It is pretty problematic, but the songs, though they slap. Yeah,
1: it, it's you hate to see. Like sometimes it's like I feel like this music deserved something that was a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, and I, that is a common problem. I know I'm a. Um, I'm a fan of uh, Berserk, the manga specifically, and there's a whole, Mm. it falls into the same pitfall, like where the, the Mm. it has a culture that is clearly a mishmash of India and other, and like Southwest Asia and also Northern Africa, just bloop, and sent in uh and even though there are very cool characters who are part of that like who are very interesting as people it's just like yeah it kind of i i i'm i give it slightly more slack because it does the exact same thing to europeans at least so at least it's equal opportunity racist uh but it is it it absolutely falls into the same traps i think of just like conflating a bunch of different it's like
0: but there's a power dynamic there yeah true
1: (laughs) yeah very true uh but
0: i do think it's quite funny though when you see like um games developed by like Japanese companies or just like non-Western companies but usually mm-hmm. it's Japanese um where they kind of do their version of that with Europe I always think it's very yeah. funny um like for example Fire Emblem Fates I'm not saying it's a great game but I did play it and it is very funny to me how uh so like the premise is there's like two versions of the game one where you are on one side of this war and one where you're on the other side and one side is very like Japanese mm-hmm. coded and the other side is basically what europe and america always do to asia yeah. to europe and it's like this character has a french name this character yep. has an italian name this character has a german name and they're all brother and sister <laughs> and everything is just this mishmash of like england france yep. germany italy spain it's yeah. so funny
1: to me it's, <laughs> it's also I, I find it really interesting it's like oh yeah oh that i, I, I see it now <laughs> i can see what you're doing there yeah, yeah. makes sense <laughs> Yeah, just yeah, and you know when
0: point Pokemon point. does it with like France and Britain oh, and America, I'm like, this is actually good and funny.
1: Yeah, because
0: the power imbalance go- goes the other way. You know.
1: Yeah, I've <laughs> never. I, Gen five was actually the last series of main series games I ever played, mostly because the Pokemon oh, okay. designs. But I remember just coming away from mm-hmm. being like, you wanted to do a game based on America, and that's the setting you made. Come on, like, what is, there's so much more going on. So they, I know that they were specifically with
0: Black and White wanted it to be based on New York and the surrounding area of New York rather than the whole of America, because God, that would probably be way too big to do. But like, yeah, I actually love black and white. I think they're really good, but it is quite funny.
1: The Unova city, like the main city was really cool. I remember thinking that like the big central city was pretty awesome. Though before we close out here, there is one thing that we always have to bring up. Uh, We always have to ask our guests for a tale from the table. This can be a fun, this can be a scary, this can be a triumphant, this can be a sad story. Something, a memorable moment that has occurred to you uh, in and around a tabletop role-playing game.
0: Oh my god.
1: I can I can throw out examples. Okay, so, uh, Tale from the Table. Uh, I think I mentioned this already earlier this year, but, um, ooh, okay! I got a Tale from the Table. Uh, th- this actually was a game that I did Uh that was inspired by um, because one of the, I, one of the players I would, I did this for Dean Dina castle and one of the players, it was a red wall style game. So very like anthropomorphic animals, uh, but throwing out like the vermin stuff and then throwing out the, they all have to be like, England. They ought to be like English animals. Uh, I threw all of that out and you could just be an animal from anywhere. Well, one of the players specifically, I had wanted to do like some kind of a European setting because i just never playing games that are inspired by, like myself rather, I never run games really that are inspired by like European stuff usually And but one of the players re- uh, requested something African so I was like, I'll split the difference <laughs> and we did an Al-Andalus game. Oh, cool. Uh, so I did like a bunch of yeah, and it was like uh, inspired by uh, the Taifa period of Al-Andalus, which is like after a succession dispute occurred with a literal in real life, a literal evil vizier <laughs> uh, who tried to overthrow who tried to overthrow the government, uh, and a, and a civil war erupted, uh, including like a lost prince. It's a really interesting story, mm. uh, but the, all of the the region basically got split up into these petty kingdoms, and no one felt comfortable calling themselves a king because they knew it would upset everybody mm. else. Uh, so they they all just sort of like. Like we're like, "Mm, I'm not really a king, but you know I'm kind of like a king. Uh, And there was like a very uneasy power imbalance, and of course the Reconquista was happening at that point. Uh, I mean that took a really long time anyway. But you you know you have threats from the north, you have El Seed running around fighting for both sides, Mm -hmm. uh, just being being a a chaos gremlin, uh, an extremely skilled warrior chaos gremlin. And so we did like a game based on that, and part of it concerned a heist there was they realized that this person that they suspected of being the bad guy was probably going to try and steal a major uh, a major powerful magical item that was under lock and key and so they created like this elaborate plan to try and steal this thing it was a full heist Uh, and they were like they had two teams Uh, like one team was supposed to give a signal after a certain amount of team the other team would go and it was like trying to create a diversion trying to sneak into the place. Uh, It involved... There was, like, climbing up and down chimneys. uh, And the highlight was when... I think they, like... uh, They somehow... So in this world, I had the animals, like, the since all the animals were people, I had the bugs become the animals. So there are, like cow-sized beetles and stuff running around. And I think mm-hmm. they cast in large on a beetle and had it run into the front of the building uh, and complete, like, destroy the entire front of... It was like a huge religious house that it basically just, just crashed into, completely distracting mm-hmm. the guards. Uh, meanwhile, from the inside, like, one of them... I think realized they were like invisible sensors all over the place. I don't even remember what all I did, but he literally carved off a section of the wall. Like he used magic to blow off a section of the wall that the item was attached to. And they like snuck it out that way. And it was mm-hmm. the, there's no one specific moment. Or there's, well, there's no one specific moment during the setting that was like, the one moment, but the ho- the, o- the overall, the session, rather the whole, the end of the session at the end of the session, one of the players who's like a forever DM was like, that was, that was the best session of D i D I've ever played. And I was like, <laughs> single tier. Uh, and then later it turns out that actually the item had already been stolen and they stole the fake uh and so uh it was all for naught but it was a really really fun time anyway that's my little tale from the table D- did that give you an opportunity to come up with one yourself
0: yeah yeah i thought of one i, I was like oh, i i feel like i have so many but uh one I, th- I i feel like you and many of the kind of people who listen to your podcast will um will kind of go like yeah uh, is uh the time. I got to punch a capitalist, <laughs> like sack of shit, in the face <laughs> in the game, but it was it was even more satisfying than that. Um, so the background of this was like this was my this is my character who is a she's a blade singer, uh, rogue, multi class. Mm. Um, but she important to the story. She also has the meta magic adept. Okay, um, and um, her backstory involved um, her family having been exiled from the city. That they are from um like literally like before she was born so her she has never like experienced being to that city before and um there's some let's just say they know that there is some like political bullshit around their family being exiled um and that was something that i wanted to explore in her backstory um and the through the course of the story um the family ended up having to go back to the city basically because uh, it was thought that my character's mother was dead and she found out that her mother was not dead. She'd been trapped in the Far Plane <laughs> for years and years. Um, and they basically managed to like pull her out of the Far Plane, not the Far Plane, sorry, the Far Realm, Far Plane's from Final Fantasy X. God is a Far Realm, the Far Realm.
1: She was trapped in the void. <laughs> Where all the aberrations go. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, um, and yeah. And they, they had pulled her out of, of the Far Realm um yeah. and my character was like oh my god I assumed my entire life that my mother was dead and and now I get to know her even though you know the last time she saw me I was a baby so <laughs> <laughs> um and but her mother was the reason the family was exiled due to um a storm that was caused by an arcane focus that she owned but did not realize mm-hmm. was um corrupted by uh, an entity from the far realm and in trying to sort of purify that um, vessel, she accidentally caused this storm that caused like huge damage to the city and stuff oh, like that. Okay. And but it was decided like, no, this is just entirely your fault, kind of thing. And they were exiled, um, or rather, the family fled. And because they fled, they were like, well, if we can't catch you, you're in exile now. Um, and basically, uh, people from the city found out that her mother was in fact alive now, um, and they kidnapped her and stole her back to the city to like put her on trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my character and supporting characters and family all go back to the city to be like, no, actually we're going to like defend her. Um, yeah, and <laughs> it was great. And, um, through like that storyline, basically when my character arrives back in the city, um, she keeps having these weird things happen where someone tries to show up and like kidnap her or, um, attack her. And, at first people kind of assume it's like well there's people in the city just hate your family because of what happened um and eventually she finds out that no there's someone like pulling the strings behind this someone basically wants to stop uh my character from being able to um uh what's the word at a trial um
1: Uh, object no that's at a wedding like (laughs) testify Testify. My testify, goodness. yeah. They
0: want to be able, they want to stop her from being involved in and testifying in this trial because they know that what she has to say is probably gonna like help right. her mother not yeah. um be sent to prison or executed. Um and um basically through this like massive story arc with lots of traumatizing things happening, um they find out that there is this like capitalist pig called Victor Rashnikov. Um, who has in? It's a great name for a capitalist asshole. I think the DM based it on like the name of a real like oil baron oh, yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and he uh, he's this like tech billionaire inventor who claims to have built all these amazing things. And he he is a, he is not from this city. Um, and he has like set up shop in the city over the like, in recent years and basically has become like the dominant uh, force in like the tech industry and military tech in the city. Um, and she basically finds out that the reason he got his foothold in the city is because after her and her family fled the city, um, he found he like stole and co-opted airship designs that her members of her family had created they fled mm-hmm. on an airship um and it was like a whole part of her backstory that she lived on an airship that her uncle had had built and that was why they were able to flee the city i just love an airship me nice. um and yeah so, yeah is a pro, pro airship podcast. podcast um so her uncle had built this airship and was in the process of trying to sort of get it um patented in the city right before all this like disaster befell the family um mm-hmm. and Viktor rashnikov Stole the design, claimed it as his own, and that was his foothold into um, starting his like that wing of his business in that city. Um, and so, basically, he was trying desperately to get my character's mother uh, convicted to murder my like other members of my character's family and to like kidnap her and keep her away from the trial and eventually kill her, uh, all because wow he did not want it to he did not want the family to be able to come back to the city because if the mother was found not guilty, then the exile would be lifted. Um, he did not want that oh. family to be able to come back to the city because then they would find out and be able to argue against the fact that he was using their designs. And it ter- she right. like uncovered this whole thing where it turned out he has this pattern of uh, stealing other people's designs and claiming them as his oh. own. He has people killed off if they ever find out about it. Uh, or he just, like, kills them off and steals their designs. And she had to go through, like, all mm. this anguish where the, the like, um, law enforcement of the city, like, just totally do not believe that she is someone who can be trusted. And in fact, he eventually um, constructs this plot to, like, make he basically drops a bomb on part of the oh, city. No. Yeah, which is, like, technology that is, like, new in this world. He, like, fires a missile mm. at part of the city and convinces the law enforcement through tech that he owns and has manipulated that it was her magic that caused this. And it's like, see, you can't trust this family. You can't trust them. So she's like being headhunt. She's being hunted with a bounty on her head while having to investigate and find evidence to prove that he's actually the one who's been causing (laughs) all these atrocities and is actually at the core of trying to meddle with this trial. And it turned into like this huge thing. Um, and basically I knew it was building up to like, I, w- I want to like mess this guy up. I want to fuck him up. Um, and <laughs> she, uh, she slash me basically like, this is great when you have a DM who's willing to like work with you to make what you want to happen happen. Um, yeah, I was like, I want her to like publicly humiliate him to the point where he has to turn on her in public. And that's the thing that makes everyone go like, oh yes, it was him. Um, and So she finds out he's going to be getting like a medal of commendation from the city for um, the reaction and response that his like military tech uh, had in helping the city after the missile blew up part of the city. And she's like, oh, my God, no. Getting a medal for the atrocity you caused. Like, no. Um, So she... um, manages to like gather enough evidence to like basically accost him at the medal ceremony in public where they can like use magic slash technology to throw up like footage on a screen in public Mm
1: -hmm. and like
0: hack into their system and be like, Oh, you did this. You said this, you did this. And she like goads him, like eggs him on so much that he just like, turns on her in public, attacks her, and then orders another missile strike on the city Whoa. in public. Whoa. And then tries to like fly away on an airship. She follows him onto the airship. Uh, they fight uh, her. My character's boyfriend who is also, who's an NPC who's her boyfriend is also present for this fight. Rashnikov like knocks him down to zero, throws him off the side of the airship. Oh, no. She like just in time casts Featherfall on him. Oh. And then <laughs> it's, like so much is happening, yeah. Um, and then she, like, I can tell he's like bloodied, like kind of low on health. Um, I have her do her like Bladesinger attack combo on him, and the DM's like, he's looking like really, really bloodied, really bloodied. And I'm like, quicken spell, shocking grasp. But in this case, I cast shocking grasp by punching him in the face, yes. and I rolled, I rolled a crit yes. on the shocking grasp.
1: <laughs> What level were you? <laughs> and I
0: knew like, oh God. Um she's quite a high level character. I think at that point she's like level 17 or 16 or something like that. So like quite a high level. Oh,
1: wow. With a crit, this is like six or eight D8. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and just that like, I just wanted to like humiliate him in public and punch him in the face. Yeah. Like, that's what I wanted.
1: Oh, that's great. Um, it
0: was great. And then, you know, we had to fly up into the sky and try to stop the missiles from hitting the city. Oh, of course. And da, 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 there was so much drama. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But yeah, that was punching an evil tech billionaire in the face.
1: <laughs> was that the climax of the campaign? No That sounds like a campaign climax. Not
0: even the climax of the campaign. It's the climax of my word. part of my character's backstory. This is also in um wow. so this character is like she's like my favorite one well, of my, my favorite D character and she was the character mm. i played in the actual play where i had some bad racist experiences behind the oh. scene and one of the things that was always really sad to me as well as just experiencing all those horrible things was um the fact that i cared so much about that character and and it felt like it kind of mired um my feelings around that character and and that i didn't and then also just like i didn't get to like play that out um so my boyfriend actually dms that this new version of the campaign for me and we play like a one-on-one game um together we've like because he's he does like pro gming and stuff and he was trying to convince me like one-on-one games are great and i was like really without a party and then he convinced me to try one and i was like oh this is amazing yeah we get to just like go as in-depth as we want and we don't have to like worry about it it's great and that gave me the ability to like rebuild that character and then have like a more positive experience with that character where we can like construct the Aww. campaign ourselves and everything. And it's really nice.
1: Yeah. That's um, so nice.
0: So yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a nice <laughs> And boyfriend. then she gets
1: to punch evil capitalists in the yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> that's that sounds wonderful. What a happy ending there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh. Next up in the campaign, she's currently, um, She's going to use a uh, wishblade to help people who are, like, um there's, like, a, you know, the horrible vampire family lording it over this particular area. This is, he, my boyfriend is, like, this is me being, like, these are, like, the two things from Curse of Strahd I think are worth doing in this campaign. <laughs> so, yeah, she's going to, like, help the villagers, um Just fucking wreck these vampires, basically. With a wish blade she stole from their castle.
1: Oh, adding insult to injury.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I love it. This sounds like a great campaign. I'm very happy about you you get this crazy. It's fantastic. All right, uh, (laughs) We thank you so much for giving so much of your time, but I want to let you go. Please let the people know where they can find you.
0: Um, well, thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sorry that we ended up <laughs> just going another hour talking no about other things. No apologies necessary.
1: <laughs> no apologies necessary. Yo, if you're listening to to the main feed right now and you're lo- wondering what what just happened, uh, we we go listen to the Patreon and you will hear an extended version <laughs> of this episode that involves discussions of Glee, uh, Project Runway, America's Next Top Model, uh, Tim Gunn and Andre going to Red Lobster, uh, all, sorts, <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of fun things.
0: <laughs> trash, TV, uh, trash TV, trash TV. Trash <laughs> TV. Yes.
1: The trash TV cut. Uh, release yeah. the trash TV cut. Uh, so, is a, yes, um, please, where can the folks find you?
0: <laughs> so yeah, like, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm Iza. You can find me on various social medias under the name Evil Clever Dog. Uh, I have a YouTube channel under that name, as well as Twitter, Instagram, and now Blue Sky. Um, I refuse to call Twitter X, so
1: Twitter. yeah, no um, one calls it X on here.
0: Mm-mm. In in this house, we do <laughs> um, not call
1: Twitter X. We call Twitter Twitter.
0: No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We will not acknowledge Elon Musk's bullshit. No. Um, so yeah, you can you can find me on all those social medias under the name Evil Clever Dog. I am a costume and prop designer and cosplayer and sometimes tweet her about RPGs, I guess um and various other things if you'd like to see me rambling about Star Trek and reality TV and stuff like that you can also go there and find that <laughs> um yeah and follow me and look at my cool work yeah. and Stuff like that, final project. That's go, look at the, go look
1: at the suit of armor that Izan was talking about because it is sick. It is absolutely oh, sick. Thank you. I love. I love the side by side on your Instagram that you do with your very first piece of armor that you ever made, which you talked about. I just realized was what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, uh, versus yeah. Versus this. That was
0: what I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. It's.
1: I mean, the original one was already pretty cool, uh, but this is. Yeah, this is like <laughs> dang. Uh, if I. I feel like if I saw that in a movie, I'd be like, "Whoa, that's that's really cool."
0: Yay! You hear that, people? these workshops, hire me to make armor for you.
1: There you go. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Iza, and uh,
0: the rest of you. You thank can you for having me. Yeah,
1: go uh, if you go follow Iza, and then uh, yeah, while you're at it, uh, go check out the Three BH Patreon. I believe it's Patreon.com/slash Three Black Halflings or or Three B <laughs> Halflings because we changed it recently. In fact, I'm going to look it up right now because I don't usually do the go Patreon check, plugs. Uh any I don't usually do the Patreon plugs these days, so let me see. Um Patreon.com. Yes, Patreon.com slash three black halflings. It's the number three black halflings. Uh we rebranded the Patreon to match everything else. And go follow the show on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, I don't know if we're on Blue Sky yet. We probably should be. Uh <laughs> Facebook. I
0: feel like you're on Blue
1: Sky. I feel like I remember I am, it. yeah. I'm a, I am I let me see. Yeah. Am I following <laughs> you on Blue Sky? I feel like I am. I am following you on Blue Sky. Yeah, follow us on Blue Sky, everybody. Validation. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and oh, yeah, and I guess I should plug myself real quick. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, Mm. Instagram. Facebook. Well, don't follow me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> and Blue Sky. Uh, uh uh Instagram. I'm at the Cobbmeister and Twitter and Blue Sky. I'm at Jeremy Cobb One, Cobb with Two B's the number one. Uh, if you want to play D D with me, come to D3 at C. Sign up for D3 at C. I'm doing it uh fall this year. We're gonna be doing a cruise. Gonna be playing Inutaram, the world of uh, outlaws and obelisks and slowdown showdown. It's gonna be a blast. Uh and uh, what was the other thing I was gonna say? There's another thing I was gonna say. Uh, the thing I was going to say was, oh yeah, uh, go go check out Project Marana, uh, the, which is a Call of Cthulhu game that I'm in. And also, uh, I don't know if it's going to continue, but I may also, by this point, be appearing semi-regularly on Dungeon Master's Block, which uh, Neil from Dungeon Master's Block has been on. Uh, before he's a friend of the show, uh, and actually we were on Dungeon Masters Block years ago, so go check that out. Uh, so yeah, there's more plugs, but I'm done. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, <laughs> and thank you once again, Iza. This was a blast. Uh, I hope you have.
0: Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Yes,
1: I-, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I look forward to the things that we've been planning that I won't go into details about.
0: Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes.
1: So long, Shire folk. You can say it too if you want.
0: So long, Shire folk. Yay.